How's it going? This is Brett Bloom sitting here with the beautiful Kristen Pennington. Mm. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. This is the Nightmare Box presenting. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. <laughs> it, I was trying to figure it out because a mistake was made. Let's get that early mistake. Cheers, in. Yep, cheers. Um, we are recording our first or second attempt, I guess, at um, our segment here on the show, which is going to be called Two Star Tuesdays. Two Star Tuesdays. We need a drop for Two Star Tuesdays. Some oh, fun song. Do. That'd be cool. And <coughs> there's a cough. <laughs> me go ahead and never mind i'll keep the cough in there it's a podcast about mistakes you signed up for this you bastard (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and so for this week's installment of two star tuesdays we are doing a film called the eye which can be found on netflix right now specifically the 2008 version the 2008 version of the eye the american version this version has jessica alba we learned in the course of watching the film that there was a is it Korean or Japanese version? Do you remember? Uh, I got it written down. Yeah. Hong Kong Singaporean. That's right. And I that came out in 2002, so it actually mm-hmm. was not too much before this film. That's apparently a Pang Brothers film. I don't know who the Pang Brothers are. Do you know who they are? I have no idea. Well, I'm sorry if we offend any of our Hong Kong Singaporean listeners. <laughs> um I'm sure they're great guys. I'm, I'm really excited to watch the original after watching this one because I really enjoyed this film. And it had a better rating. So The original did, yeah. yeah. This film did not have a good rating. That's why it sits in the Two Star Tuesdays. What, what did it have? Like a 2.5 on yeah, I think the it was Netflix about, thing? Yeah, it was about 2.5. It landed a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score was 43%. And the IMDb for uh, the eye was 5.4 so all around not Jessica Alba's best reviewed film no no where do you want to start uh the good like what we liked about it we can start with the good we can start the man I had such high hopes in that first half hour I I was (laughs) in love with the concept of uh, the scripter that was on Netflix I thought that looked brilliant like Mm. the uh, the images that they had for the on the menu. You know what we should start doing? Like, sorry, when you said that just now, it made me think of it because we haven't done this. We should watch the preview before we watch the movie and see if the preview makes the movie. That should be like, how we do this. Yeah. I forgot that the preview option was a thing. Yeah, I like that. That's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, because we haven't been watching the previews for any of these, so we should definitely like hop online and watch the trailer and see how like hyped the trailer makes us yeah. feel. You imagine a Zombievers trailer. We gotta rewatch the Zombievers trailer. <laughs> the trailer was a little funny, though. Well, that's why. I think. <laughs> the trailer was. If actually you can sell funny. me on a trailer, I'll forgive the movie. But if you make a <laughs> kick-ass trailer and a shit film, I'm gonna be furious. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, no, it sold me right off the bat. It's a simple title that you know you can get along with. Jessica Alba's in the film, which is always an option, you know, that I will I will gladly accept. There are actually a couple of relatively well-known actors in this like yeah. uh, chloe grace mortez is in it uh i feel like i know For, i've seen some stuff that she's done but i can't think of anything off the top of my head parker posey um, yeah the chloe mortez was carrie yeah yeah, yeah. in the remake yeah. in the remake she made that do you remember 2012 was that the year oh uh, i believe so yeah we did the math on it it turns out she was like 16 years old and Carrie. And Carrie, yeah. In She's this 11 movie, in yeah. this movie. She is the most adorable, um, sympathetic cancer character I have ever seen in this film. I, I was in love with that little girl. She was doing all the great things. But we dove into it, and for the first half hour, we were just completely blown away. We were like, this might be the greatest fucking movie I've ever seen. How does anybody justify and a 2.5 star? I feel like I must have either not watched all of the movie, because I had seen it once before, but it was a long time ago. I either, like, from the trauma of being so let down on the last half, erased <laughs> the last half of the movie from my memory, or just stopped watching it In your mind, it it's something. a Sundance short film. Because, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, we, it popped up. In our Netflix search, and it was like super low rated, and I was like, I feel like I remember really liking this movie, <laughs> and like 
the first half hour in, I was like, yeah, I really liked this movie. And then, man. The opening shot, the introduction of the concept. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were fucking made. (laughs) That whole extra hour at the end of that brilliant film didn't need to be there. That should have been bloopers. They should have just stopped the movie. You can only get the rest of the film as a bonus section on a DVD purchase in Walmart. Those are The rest of the movie should have been kicked to the fucking curb, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. The first half hour uh, was just fantastic. That opening, was that the opening shot? That No. The opening shot's her walking down the sidewalk, but that pan shot before the credit comes in where it's like it expands out from her eyes into the Mm. city. She's got these beautiful, like cloudy eyes that you mentioned they don't really do. Uh, the, the main character is blind. I don't know that we've actually said that yet. I've so. lost myself here. Uh, well, coming through on the recording. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, no, you're gone. You're we've fine. been having audio issues, so. Pause Bad right. cable on our mic. Sorry, yeah. I'm adjusting the mic and being obnoxious. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to quit fucking with that. Let's okay. just go. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we cut out, we were kind of talking about the introduction. So, yeah, why don't you lay out the basic of the synopsis? Because I, I, I forgot uh, okay. to um, introduce the main character. Yeah, we, we should probably give some context here. Um, so Jessica Alba plays the main character. What was her name? You have that right uh, Sydney. Sydney. Okay, so Sydney is a violinist who has been blind basically her whole life, I think since the age of five, and decides to have this operation to have her um, eyes that she still has, mm-hmm. but just can't see through, um, replaced. <laughs> Shut up. I was like, it's not, it's not. It's like she didn't get her eyes gauged well, out, not, gouged no. out of her head. Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, some, <laughs> some people have like glass eyes, like some people get fake eyes, like some people, like the eye itself is legitimately damaged. I don't, her an attaboy and her eyes <laughs> I don't think they stuff. ever explain <laughs> at any point in the story why she's blind. I don't recall well, them I mean, addressing all it. possibility, she could have caught one of those attaboys. <laughs> Shut up. So, uh, yeah, she still has her eyes, and like Brett mentioned, they have this really pretty blue, cloudy look Mm -hmm. to them. And then she gets uh, an operation to replace them with the eyes of someone who's passed away, and they don't tell her who the eyes belong to or, like, any backstory or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. um, she starts seeing things that aren't there, specifically um, spirits of um, either dead people or dying people, and then also these... I Kinda wish like ghosts like Grim Reaper type yeah, characters. I wish they had been more creepy than they were. They're but just yeah. shadows. Yeah, know? these shadowy figures that uh, take the dying people away, mm-hmm. and so, um, like the story is her trying to figure out why she's seeing these visions and what's going on, and she has like all these like really creepy, like things happening to her throughout her journey. And she does it through the help of Dr. Bullfucker. <laughs> Which is not his actual name. It's <laughs> Faulkner. Dr. Paul Faulkner. Not Bullfucker. But in somebody, it, that became the running joke for the entire time we were listening. So to be fair. The optometrist slash psychotherapist slash best friend slash love interest. <laughs> who kind of comes off the entire film. Like a dude who beats his wife. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of... He's not a... charming. Well, he's like super nice to her up front and then like instantly... The scene, he's like the sweetest man ever. Instantly a douche yeah. and then like has a change of heart overnight and decides mm-hmm. to start being supportive. So there's, there's Jack's, Jack's eating. Went on a walk. He's got a protein foods. Is that good, buddy? Yep. <laughs> Go be fat. <laughs> You're drooling on the. I just. Why? Why are you doing that? Now? <laughs> Jax has picked up this habit of um, taking his food to the center of my freshly vacuumed rug He's and staring at you. So like, don't judge can, me. He can eat it three pieces at a time. I assure you, there's a bowl of food. Okay, he's done. Oh, he's gonna come back and get more. Winston's gonna fuck him up. Okay. <laughs> But back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, like 
<laughs> He's going to be doing that for a minute. <laughs> there it goes again. Carrying it back Dad, I like the initial sound, and then I like soundproofing my food and chomping it to death. <laughs> Jax, Daddy's trying to work. Can you, why, why do you eat them one at a time? <laughs> Come here. Can you put his bowl in the back bathroom, do you think? Yep, part three. Yeah, so he'll probably still bring him out here or, to eat. Or move it to over there where he's trying to eat it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll just eat on the carpet. Hey, Jess. Oh, goodness. You don't need to move the whole thing. Then. No! Okay. <laughs> I live a life that is a comedy of errors. <laughs> well, this is going to get down. It's just, no, it's Stan. I'm going to, I'm rambling the entire time you're gone. Spilt the water bowl. Spilt the, she tried to move. There's, there's a thing that sits well, you didn't up. specify. You know it comes out. That's how we feed him. You know, Why'd mean... you try to move the whole operation? <laughs> Spill water all over the floor. This is a nightmare box. And this is mistakes were made and Kristen is doing them in real time. <laughs> I'm not the one eating protein food, okay? If you did, you'd be a little sharper there, lady. <laughs> oh, that was not not smooth. Not smooth. <laughs> You're just letting this all record. Yeah, I'm not I'm not pausing at part three. Some of this might be funny. You can edit a lot of it out. Okay. You pick up those, those nasty wall chunks while you're back there. Thank you. <laughs> oh, God. Jax, see what you've done. You see what you've done. I thought you were being a good boy. You've created a whole situation. Guess Winston's the good boy today. Winston's not the good boy. No, he tried to sabotage the cords. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, they're bad. They're assholes. <laughs> Welcome tried back. To, I tried to sabotage the water, so... This is what an in-home studio feels like. This is, <laughs> this is that shit right there. This is what a beginner podcast feels like. <laughs> but so, I read a book, and they said to be authentic, well, so there you go. I am nothing if not authentic, <laughs> and that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> believe I spilled that. Okay, so where were we? Uh, we haven't gotten past talking about the intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're given the synopsis. <laughs> no, we did that already. I just blew out the levels with that giggle. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's talk about what we liked about it because I, like I said, had like super high hopes initially for the film. So, um, you talked about the. That's, I think that's where we left off, was that, that opening shot, like you talked about the, the mistiness in her eyes and stuff like that. What did you have any, uh, like... Dr. Paul, Paul Faulkner. <laughs> Dr. Paul Faulkner. <laughs> did you have any one particular thing that, like, really stood out to you that you liked? I... Hmm. Question. I, I, the, the first 30 minutes was so fucking phenomenal but my, I think one of my favorite things and it's a small thing uh, that we were talking about earlier is Jack's chomps away Jack's chomps away um, was the apartment complex like she's got for the first half hour a really good relationship with the doorman and her building is circular and it's gunmetal gray. It's not visually attractive, but mm-hmm. if you're a blind person living in the city, it feels like why a maze. Would you, yeah, why would you? It, it feels like a maze. Um, it feels like a decision that character would make. Like she never turns any of the lights on in the apartment. There's, you know, for the first half hour until she gets her eyes and the movie falls apart. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I thought that that was um, what they did for her character for a large part felt authentic. I didn't feel like I was being. 
and Jack slurping. Can you can you take over for a minute? Let me gather yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, and that's why, like the first, not to say that there weren't good points later in the film, but the first half hour, like comes across so brilliantly because they're still building the world and kind of letting you get to know like her situation, the character, what's going on, like what the movie's about. And they don't really give hardly any backstory at all of any kind. So you don't get like an intimate level of like her story, but what her world is like is incredibly well done. Like the sound design is beautiful. Like the the sound of like, for instance, I don't know if they had a fan in the film or not, but like, for instance, you know, the sound that a fan makes, like sounds that normal people wouldn't really notice. We've kind of tuned them out in our day-to-day life. They cranked up the volume on all of these like tiny minuscule sounds in her world because she can't see. So she's relying on all of her other senses. And, and that carries over even after she gets her eyes. Yeah. It becomes like a huge key point. And then even the way it's shot, like there's a lot of close-ups where you get like the intimate details of all the little like aspects of her world. So it's not, it's it's shot in a way where it feels almost like you have a limited set of senses available to you as well, even though you're watching the mm. film. And so. that, that holds throughout. Like, mm-hmm. it, of course, the whole first little bit isn't shot in complete darkness like you're Hmm. watching her but they're very dark shots and then when she gets her eyes and like they're opening her eyes there's like a 15 minute segment of film that is shot really blurry like Mm -hmm. because her eyes are still adjusting and it gradually grows clearer and clearer when we're getting her perspective which i thought was a really interesting choice yeah and you mentioned um like at the beginning of the film when she's like in her own apartment she never turns any of the lights on like she just goes in and like digs through the cabinets like makes her dinner like does whatever and like doesn't really recognize any of the stuff that we uh typically use in our day-to-day lives and then after um she actually gets her eyes she does start making like a conscious effort to do more stuff like that like she'll flip on the lights of her apartment but she still has all of the habits that she had pre um surgery which her eyesight isn't great like it takes a while for her to adjust like brett said she's like the shots are all very blurry Mm. because that's how she's actually seeing the world but she's still like even though she can see to some extent like feels her way along the wall or like feels you know to the doorknob to open it instead of like actually trying to like look for it with her eyes so i thought that was interesting that these habits are so ingrained in the character and i will say kudos to jessica alba she did a good job of like conveying that like she seemed convincingly like this girl who had been blind her whole life who was trying to like stumble her way around this new world that she had never experienced before with the aid of her hyper supportive sister (sighs) helen Ooh. Helen, who shows up for one scene to say, if there's anything I can do, just call me. No, I think she tells her. She's like, I'm going to call you every single day. And she's and she like, I hope you're okay with that. Hey, my recent, uh, my, my sister, who has been blind her entire life, is now meandering through the city trying to comprehend vision. <laughs> and I got to go back home to Minnesota. Look, I can't fucking hang out here. <laughs> And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they implied that the mom and dad were deceased. Like, I, I think that they made a very brief nod to that at the beginning of the film. That's the one issue that we discussed earlier, where in our last uh, edition, if you will, of Two Star Tuesdays, we talked about there being way too much backstory and most likely to die. Mm-hmm. And in this film, there's next to none. Like, you... The Sydney character feels very real. The Alicia character, the little girl with cancer, feels very real. Mm -hmm. The rest of them... I liked Miguel, but Miguel disappears. um, For absolutely no reason. (laughs) Um, The rest of them feel very flat, you know? Like they're just... We need more information. What happened with the parents? Why are you two the only two that are supporting one another? Why do you not live side by side if she's blind? 
may have just not caught it, but I don't think they say why she's blind. Like, yeah. I don't remember. Like, it, it certainly wasn't she significant. She boy to the back. <laughs> it certainly wasn't significant breakfast. enough that I even remember if they did mention it. So, yeah, there's a very strange lack of context to mm-hmm. what's going on. And then when shit starts happening, it's like we just ramp right up into it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I got a little wound up. Are you good? Jack's in the back. Me spilling water. Spilling of the water. Now I can hear a baby crying. <laughs> um, switching gears. Switching gears. The bad. No, no, not, not no. going into the bad. No. Still on still on the little good list. Still on the good list. The green screen effects. Oh, yeah. The only issue that I had with the green screen, and it's 2008, so I'm not really like, what the fuck were you thinking? I mean, we got to keep that as well as part of the Mm -hmm. review. Is uh, for its faults, a lot of them are tropes from the era that we'll get into here in a little bit. But the green screen effects looked really good. The only issue that I had with it was when she went to put her hand to it, she didn't go to it. Like, she was the green screen cut out mm. magically an inch away from the wall and then everything became normal again like those small moments or things that I think get used in later films where they can blend into the scene so mm. that wall disappears but it becomes obviously a wall when you can't make contact with yeah. it she's uh, in her apartment is what he's talking about and um, she's seeing visions like we discover later in the film that the donor who has given her eyes saw previously and these are actually like premonitions she's seeing um and the her apartment kind of starts melding into the home of the other Mm -hmm. girl so it's kind of like this weird like flickering of it's her apartment but it's also the other girl's home so it's like this neat little transition that's like really well done but yeah she walks up to the wall but doesn't quite touch it with her hand it's it's beautiful um a lot of those, I mean, there are so many shots, even when the movie takes its turn, that I, I think are worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. You know, like the mirror effect, that whole scene where she sees the other person. They hired an actress that isn't unlike Jessica Alba, has a couple of very similar features. And so we were staring at it for like a solid minute before we were like, holy shit, that's not Jessica Alba. Like, it's not like a jump scare moment, yeah. you know? It's uh, the actress that plays the donor. Uh, what's that character's name? Anna. Anna. Um, the Bruja. <laughs> yeah. For all my years of Spanish. <laughs> um, I was like, what does Bruja mean? And she goes, it means witch. And I was like, in what language? She goes, Spanish. You just graduated college. You did this <laughs> shit for three years. Like, what are you <laughs> <laughs> How did you not know that it ended in a? It's a it's a it's a female word. <laughs> but um, yeah, the the donor that gave her unwittingly the eyes mm-hmm. um, was seeing all these premonitions of impending death and disaster, and she tried to warn uh, the village that she lived in of like an incident that was going to happen, and they didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, it happened. And they labeled her as a witch, and so she killed herself. And that's how uh, Jessica Alba's character ended up with the eyes. So she's seeing these visions, and there is a a really cool moment where she's looking in the mirror, and um, her reflection is of the other girl, and she... You know, has been blind her whole life, so she has no idea what she actually looks like as an adult. So she thinks that that's what she actually looks like. And then somebody shows her a photo of herself and she's like, who's that? And they're like, that's you. But yeah, she, very similar features. Like it, it took a moment for both of us to recognize that that was an entirely different person in the mirror. So it was a really cool shot, uh, which we actually. Got a couple of really cool shots throughout the movie. That explosion scene at the end with the glass flying into the eye. Mm-hmm. Noted yep. also the, the restaurant scene. Those two to kind of get us back in the rhythm. Um, let's talk about the explosion, the glass going through the eye. 
Yeah, this is near the end of the film. It is near the end. And then we'll go into the restaurant scene because in the difference between those two, I think uh, we find the problem with the film. So the glass in the eyes scene at the end, I mean, the whole thing is a premonition. She's sitting right there at the U.S. border trying to get out of Mexico, long line of traffic, tank, which we, we or uh, fuel tank, Mm-hmm. which we learned is also in the original film. Um, she starts seeing all those shadows running away. And she can't figure out what's going on. And then she runs down the street like a crazy person and starts like giving people away from the fuel. Which I thought that, I don't know if that's in the original or not, but I actually thought that was kind of a smart move instead of being like the original character um, nobody believed because she tried to tell the truth like I've seen this vision of bad things yeah. gonna happen and Jessica Alba's character just runs up on the bus and she's like there's, there's a bomb, bomb. <laughs> like get off the bus there's a bomb and like of course people are gonna be like holy crap mm-hmm. so I thought that was like an interesting take on that I don't know if that's in the original no, or not I, I, when we read about the original is nobody believes her oh yeah that's and right yeah. so the only person that saves her is their doctor bald fucker or whatever <laughs> <laughs> what the doctor's name was in that but yeah yeah that's true yeah she tried to tell the truth and they didn't believe her so that was an interesting take like yeah. just gal was like oh fuck they're not she gonna believe me the hero which is like what we were talking about in the um in the, in the not laundromat in the um expensive <laughs> breakfast restaurant we were at <laughs> earlier <laughs> Definitely the laundromat. Definitely the laundromat. Where all our best you business may have meetings heard of happen. It is Cafe Landore. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful place where all the good ideas come from, and everybody is naked serving uh, cheese and wine. Mm. That's uh, if I saw anybody naked in the laundromat, I'd have some issues. <laughs> They're just trying to wash their clothes. But yeah, there's that premonition. That comes along with that. The bomb, or not the bomb, the fuel tank explodes. Mm. And moments after, like, redeeming herself. Not redeeming. She saves all the people. Redeeming the original girl. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, The glass from one of the cars flies off. There's that really cool CGI slow motion scene where it goes into her eyes, which I thought was brilliantly Mm. fucking done. And uh, she is re-blinded and goes back to being a violinist as though she didn't have the craziest goddamn hour and a half of her life, you know? (laughs) Because in contrast, we have the restaurant scene. The restaurant scene, which this entire film, we're told she's a premonition type person. She Mm -hmm. can see the future, people that are going to die. She can see death taking these people. I don't... don't However, the restaurant scene is not a premonition. The restaurant scene, we get tricked. I don't know if at that point in the film they had established that she was seeing premonitions, but if they hadn't, when later on they, like, point that out, it does kind of go against a lot of the other scenes in the film, for sure. Because she's reliving the past, which is not a thing, I think. Well, except for the kid that jumps out the window. I don't think that it really... You know what I mean? Like yeah. a, I don't think it really comes up. <laughs> and, well, they don't explain a lot of things. And that's one of the big problems with this film is she sees a random spirit for no reason in a cafe. And mm-hmm. we never establish what's going on with that. Um, there's a random spirit in the elevator and they never bring that back up again. So you have this like sense of, oh, she's just seeing ghosts. And then we see a couple of instances where she's literally seeing the spirits of that person as they die being taken away. So we're like, okay, she's seeing death. And then we get some flashbacks. So it's like, okay, she's just seeing all this paranormal shit in general. She's apparently just (laughs) the veil and is seeing everything. (laughs) And then we establish later in the film she's seeing premonitions. And it's like, but all of that other stuff that happened. Yeah, you were supposed (laughs) to just be seeing premonitions this entire time. Where's my report card? (laughs) I did think the restaurant scene was a little cool, though. Like, oh, man. It was a... It, it tricked me. It tricked me, yeah. but it 
tricked me because it didn't follow the rules of the story. Yeah. You should be able to trick me while following the rules of the story. If we're not like up to that point, we're not really diving into she's there. She can see what has happened mm-hmm. here. As, you know, if she'd walked in there and had dinner and then walked out and then like final destination, fucking <laughs> the goddamn restaurant blew up and she yeah. came back, that would be different. But what happens is she walks into what appears to be uh, a ramen shop. Yeah. And like sits down and, you know, goes to eat or whatever. And then all of a sudden something from the kitchen blows up. Mm-hmm. And she's like kind of just left there in the wreckage of this building. And Brett and I were both watching it for like a few minutes where it's like, holy fuck, she's the only one who survived. And yeah. then the doctor randomly oh i think she had called him did she call him maybe i don't know just, yeah nothing <laughs> with dr bullfucker makes sense I, I think she called him maybe so I'm, i may just not be remembering that but for whatever reason the doctor a hit song in 2009 <laughs> 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 maybe. maybe so the doctor <laughs> the doctor maybe. walks into this restaurant which is still in its wreckage state and um previously They had been showing really bad, scary shit happening to her, and then it goes back to normal, so you think she's just seeing these visions that are going to happen, and the doctor walks in, and the restaurant doesn't go back to normal, so I'm like, wait a minute. I think she walked into the restaurant when it was already destroyed. Yeah. And had a vision of the restaurant not destroyed. It being destroyed. Yeah, and then that turns out that's what happened. Like, she, like a crazy person, wanders into this burned-out building... Sits down at a burned out table yeah. and has a vision that she's eating at a real restaurant. It makes sense in the film, right? Like, she would have had to have been there, had the vision, left. And then it happened. And then come back. But she was never there. Like, I, it, And we find the restaurant burned down like a week ago, which this doctor, for whatever reason, of course, knows this has happened. Why are you here? Like, <laughs> you didn't, we didn't have a coffee discussion where you're like, the china shop down the road's going to explode. <laughs> and... Uh, piggybacking off the restaurant um, scene, it leads into another very prevalent problem this film has. Like the, whatever it is in the kitchen that blows up is this cheesy, like jump scare, like massive fireball explosion that really doesn't make any sense. And there are so many Jump scares in How this many? film. I know we gave up at a point. Uh, we, it was, was over like, 10. It and was, then we gave oh, up I think counting. It was like at 17 where I was like, I, I can't keep counting these fucking Yeah, we, we, because it was like they did one and then there was a little bit of space, then they did another, and then it was like they just snowballed into each other. It was like one after the other after yeah, the other. There was no tension. And there was no tension built. <laughs> so many of them were these cheesy fire explosions. Yeah. Because she's having. These quote-unquote premonitions of that the don't ending. even make sense. The little girl hung herself in a house that was on fire. Then they went to Mexico, and the house is there. And they're like, "This is where she hung herself." And it's like, didn't all this shit burn down? Yeah, and all the, the house other is still shit there. You were telling me about earlier. The yeah, fuck, Jessica Alba, read the script. <laughs> Comprehend plot holes, plot holes, plot holes. In its defense, keeping with it. You know, with films at the time, the 2000 to 2010, heavy on the jump scare. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a a huge thing. You know, paranormal activity builds the entire film just so you can watch the door close at the end. And everybody was like, greatest movie ever made. Like, jump scares got out of fucking control in the 2000s because we watched 9-11. I blame it on that. 9-11 9-11 came out of nowhere. So we were like, oh, terrorism. It can happen every moment. But you know what was beautiful about 9-11 was all the people dying. No, uh, <laughs> Aww. <laughs> no, um, no, the jump scares drove me up the fucking wall, though. I, I, I'm happy that's not a thing that happens anymore. But, uh, you can have three. I think three in an hour and a half is like... It keeps the audience on edge. You can build the tension yeah. to the jump scare. But to hit it 17 times, plus in an hour and a half, you're like, you're, I can call them. I know when they're coming. Like I, 
And two, which related to that, that's the thing we were talking about earlier. Like, I don't personally have like a massive problem with the jump scare. I mean, you can definitely overdo it, but like there has to be some subtle that's a jump scare debate. <laughs> there has to be some subtlety to it, like. I mean, yeah, they're a little cheesy. Like, they crank up the volume every time because the sudden increase of noise when it was previously silent gets most people. Mm-hmm. And then something just suddenly popping up on the screen. So it is a, it's a bit of a cheap move. I'll give you that. But, like, you know, sometimes that buildup of tension and the sudden release of it, like, is effective in a horror film. And I don't, I don't Do mind... You know the greatest jump scare of all time? What? Is Norman Bates in Psycho. Because it doesn't happen again. They scare the fuck out of you with the shower scene, and you remember the shower scene. There were so many jump scares in that film. I don't feel like I, I would consider that a jump scare. You see a shadow walking up. You see a shadow approaching the curtain, though. Yeah. So you know it's coming. But you like, don't expect it like that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's true. I guess you don't really expect it. To... Like a, well, like that. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying to compare the eye to anything Hitchcock ever did. <laughs> For the record. (laughs) But the difference with this film is the jump scares aren't like this like quick bang and then they're gone. You know, like, oh, the volume increased and somebody popped up on the screen. It's these like ridiculous, cheesy explosions and just like really over the top kind of silly stuff. That's just like, you didn't even scare me. I'm annoyed with you. Yeah. This is too much, too frequently. Yeah. Like each one of these should be like the one that you picked. Poor editing if nothing else, on the writer's side, to not go, I've got 15 scares, let me pour them all into a movie, you know? Like, he had 37 scares. He was like, I've got 30 minutes to just jump from, oh, no, to, oh, no. I don't know, though. I mean, I'm not a writer, so that's an interesting question. Like, from a writing perspective, I don't... Do you visualize it that way? I feel like a writer wouldn't be thinking this is a scare. Like, the writer's just like, you know, this and this happened, the restaurant exploded. Like, I don't think you, like, visually imagine it is like this, like, and then we're going to scare the audience at this moment, do you? Yeah, that's the whole reason why you write. You're writing as if you had a camera in your hand. So, like, that's... The the person who wrote that had an idea of what they wanted that to look like. But with stuff like... And they put it there that frequently. (laughs) cliche, though? Like, I feel like, I don't know, with writing, I feel like... Do you think the director was like, I'm just going to drive the plot over here and scare everybody and try to jump back to the screenplay? No, it was definitely there. (laughs) I don't don't know. I I mean, again, I'm not a writer. I feel like from a writing perspective, you're trying to make the story scary, not like, bang, we're going to scare the audience here. Like, I do feel like that's a... That's it. We should figure out who wrote this movie and send them an angry email. It wasn't, it's not the worst thing we've watched by any means. It's not a movie I'm mad at. I I loved the first half hour. I thought it was a brilliant film. (laughs) Wasn't for all the extra shit. There was lots of fucking filler in it. Weird lack of development while we're on the writing topic, though, between Jessica Alba and the doctor guy who I guess is supposed to be her love interest. Like they don't like make out or anything like that in the film, but it's like, he's nice to her and then he's not nice to her and then he's nice to her again. He comes off like an abusive shithead, like throughout the entire thing. Like he's like, listen, we're going to get through this. Like you've just got sensory overload and you don't know how to comprehend. And then like after two days of trying to explain to a previously blind woman, how to navigate the streets of New York city or Los Angeles rather. Yeah. Um, after like two days, he's like, you know what? Fuck this bitch. (laughs) I'm just going to be a dickhead. He starts yelling at her in the middle of the hospital at one point. It's like, what the fuck? Telling her she's like crazy, essentially. You're insane. It's like, well, you are an optometrist. But then there's this. She should have a therapist or her sister. There's this weird, awkward moment where I don't think they like made up at any point before it happened. She's like getting in a cab because she's like screw all of you i'm gonna go find my donor and he just runs up in the middle of the street seemingly knowing what cab she's in yanks her out of the cab and he's like i'm gonna drive you to mexico yeah, we are fucking driving to some cartel run border town to hunt down some dead mexican girl which if she hung herself in mexico how did she wind up in the american donor lab and that was a 
I, I didn't think of that until right now. Is that a thing? Is that can you donate your Mexican eyes to an American citizen? I don't know. Does this movie make sense? I don't feel like it's probably not a normal thing that would happen. But that was another thing we discussed, which I'm not in the least bit an expert on this kind of stuff or remotely knowledge in this kind of stuff at all. So I could just be completely like in my own head about this. But I feel like if you hung yourself, your eyes probably pop out of your head. Yeah, I feel like your eyes wouldn't necessarily be viable eyes anymore. Like, because the others are. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but (laughs) you just cut off all the blood they pop yeah. out of your head when you hang yourself it, yeah that doesn't make any sense I didn't think about the fact that they came from another country though that's a good point yeah I don't I don't think that would be a thing that happened no it's sad about the little girl's suicide she didn't kill herself she hung herself she's not a little girl she was an adult I was going to say it only happened once, but it's not funny if she's an adult. <laughs> no, the, the little cancer girl died, but that wasn't suicide. She yeah. died of cancer. Damn. The little boy threw himself out a window. That happened. That was a thing. Which that little boy... It was a little callback to the original movie, for sure. Tiny little Asian kid. And the only Asian character in this whole film, which we had a discussion... Well, the only prominent Asian character yeah. in the whole film, which we had a discussion about that that I thought was interesting because we read the synopsis of the original film, but we haven't watched it. And, like, it's, you know, an Asian horror film. Like, the main characters are Asian. The donor is Asian. Like, all of the stuff going on in this movie is Asian. And for whatever reason, the donor is Hispanic in the remake. Yeah. And I, it was an odd choice because I feel like a lot of Americanized Asian horror films, they do more prominent nods to the original film and the little boy that jumps out a window I guess because he lost his report card and thought his mom was going to be mad at him Tiger Moms bro <laughs> is the only like real prominent Asian character in the whole film and I gotta say that little boy was probably creepier than any other shit that happened he's just stalking her down the hall have you seen my report card? have you seen my report card? have you seen my report card? <laughs> why am I wearing a raincoat? it's not raining outside <laughs> so he can do that Tilted down head, like creepy eyes looking up at you thing. Ah, that fucking the rave. <laughs> Shit. Why it's are, like grudge that's why, grudge. Why are Asian like, kids so scary? I think it's because they always have like their hair really slicked down and it's really dark and hanging in their face, so you only get like that little bit of like visual of their face and it's always like very heavily made up, so it's just like this dark hair and this really pasty skin and these dark eyes, so like it's one of those things where you don't see much of them, so it's kind of a little creepy. I don't know. There, that was another fascination at the time, too, though, right? Like, you had the ring, you had... Um, the Grudge. The Grudge. That's the one I couldn't remember the name of. Little fucking Asian kids. I'm going to adopt some. <laughs> some little Korean babies. <laughs> to make your horror films? Yeah. I'm going to get them. I'm just going like, to stand them in front of my neighbor's house and then bang on the door as they open the door. Like, what the fuck? And it's just like a little fucking... Just have a moan at him. Yeah, like ten year old little Asian boy. Like, Can you see my report card? And it's like the scariest cop knock you've ever heard on a door in your life. And that's oh, um, sorry, like total aside from what you're talking no, about. But speaking of the little Asian boy, that's another thing that they never address. Like she's having, I, I, I guess a, it's not a premonition, premonition because it's already happened. This little boy was a real boy who killed himself. By jumping out of the window. But she's having out. this flashback. Yeah, I guess. Just to make sure I'm not the racist that <laughs> is in the film. Like, I didn't say Tiger Mom. Aww. That bitch was Tiger Mom. But she has this flashback of this little boy. And then he goes to jump out the window. And she's like, no, stop. Like, trying to stop him. And I can't remember if he breaks the glass or she breaks the glass. But they're on, like, the 20 millionth fucking floor mm. of the sky rise she lives in. They're, like, way the fuck up there. And she actually, in real life, cuts her arm up. So this window actually gets broken and nobody brings it back I up didn't later. Even think about that. Like, bitch, why'd you break the window? The cops never showed yeah. up on the floor. Nobody to be asks like, Yo, her. bitch, did you toss this little kid through that window? <laughs> well, the, the little boy was a figment of her imagination, but nobody ever goes, hey. Why is the crazy blind bitch like. Breaking windows up on the 100th floor of our building? Shit up. Fucking taking a baseball bat <laughs> to her lighting fixtures in her apartment. Like, she already. She, 
She, she navigated the light switches. Why didn't she just turn the light switches on? She holds herself up in her apartment after that happens, and then that's the last time I think we see her doorman, Miguel. He lets the optometrist... Sweet, sweet Miguel! My favorite dude! <laughs> but he the lets home. the optometrist into her apartment like he's actually her real doctor. Yeah. And she's been locked up in this apartment, I think, for a couple of days at this point. She's having a nervous breakdown. I'm going to send the eye doctor up there to make sure she's okay. Yeah, she's been locked up in her apartment for like a couple of days at this point. Nobody's called the cops to go, hey, this kid died and now this bitch is locked up in her room. (laughs) And they like very passingly talk about her slashed up arm. Like, wouldn't you have like infection setting in at this point or something? She's bleeding out. Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) I guess we'll go to the hospital. Like, it's... <laughs> a weird aside. God. You have like a, a kick ass moment of her like shattering all the lights in that her was, own apartment, though. That was, really that was kind of cool. cool. Shot, and that led to one of the mirror shots, didn't Am I remembering that right? Was there a mirror shot in that? that uh, whole... I think that happens before. Uh, the, the mirror shot happens around that time, but I think that like there's a dark mirror shot there, but it's not that, that important. Um, yeah, no, the consistency is just completely fucked in this movie. I uh, We had talked about a couple of these. I think the last three things we brought up were like brand new. Like, Speak, we yeah, speaking of it. consistency, like they take her to the hospital to get her arm stitched up and then the final like trip to Mexico, her arm's totally fine again. Like there's nothing wrong with I her arm. I didn't even think about that. Her arm's good after she gets her eye surgery. Like they bloody up her eyes a little bit, but like she doesn't look punched out in the face. Like she looks like her eyes aren't swollen even in the slightest. Yeah, there's no bruising. I'm not an optometrist, but the optometrist wasn't a psychotherapist. So I feel like I've got a little bit of room to play here. Uh, One of the things we haven't gone over yet, the color schemes in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did think that was interesting. Um... I'm sure there are other warm shots in the film that I'm not remembering at the moment, but for the most part, the film is largely very, like, blue. Like, yeah. very obviously blue. And um, if anybody out there knows anything about color theory, um, colder shots are generally considered, like, very isolating, like, make you feel, like, detached, cold, depressing. And, like, as she's going through this world, like struggling with all of these issues almost everything in the whole film is very very noticeably blue not just like oh it's a cold film and like claustrophobic yeah, yeah and all the shots are very claustrophobic but there's um, um she's a violinist i feel like we brought that up mm-hmm. already but there's like a moment where she's like trying to do like a recording after she's gotten her eyes and even at the beginning when they're doing a concert and like all of those shots where she's supposed to feel safe and comfortable like they're very very warm shots yeah so i thought that was uh a really interesting use of color like they make a point to make her whole world feel very isolating um even when she's not alone even when she's with other people like Mm -hmm. it just it feels like She's all on her own and disconnected from everything else. So that was pretty cool. No, I, 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 it's a very interesting contrast because you like start to smile when you see that old man conductor dude, you know, that birthday shot's really pretty and mm-hmm. it's, it's very intimate. Uh, as opposed to, well. I was sorry, you brought up the birthday shot and I was remembering to be, to be Miguel, fair. Miguel, no. the fucking dude who's been taking care of her for the no. past fifteen fucking years in her no. little little high rise apartment, no. he comes up and he goes, "I want to be your friend," and like some white business dude like shoves him out of the way. And he's oh, like, hey, how's it going? Oh, you're talking about her welcome home. I was talking about the actual birthday. Oh, the they birthday party. they bring out a cake to like the conductor that she's like really good friends with. To be fair, we had had a few drinks at this point, but she's playing a song on the violin, and like I looked at Brett and I was like, "Is she playing Three Blind Mice? Like that seems a little insensitive." And he was like, "She's playing Happy Birthday." <laughs> Somebody had a weird childhood. <laughs> you are insensitive to the blind community. I was like, that seems really incredibly insensitive. <laughs> Really? Like, why would she play like, that? Do, 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 do. Either you've never had happy birthday, son, do you? Or your parents got a weird fascination with three blind mice. <laughs> three blind mice, see how they're on. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was my bad. 
I like the violin aspect, though, and I really like the line, which I wish I would have written down because I'm trying to get the line of the week. Did I write it down? Uh, that she wished she could see what music looked like. Yeah, she's listing all of these things that regular people, not regular people, you know. <laughs> regular say. people. Who's people, insensitive now? People with sight. Um, not blind people. Um She's explaining all these things that they must be able to experience that she doesn't have the ability to experience for herself. And I liked the line. Can you say it again? Uh, that may not be the exact wording, but she said something along the lines of wishing she could see what music looked like. Yeah, like that was a thing that she thought had a visual element to mm-hmm. it. And the music goes away when she has her actual vision. So, like, she never gets... Except for the part where she tries to play and she can't because she's looking at everything. Mm-hmm. She's trying to read the, the notes instead of reading them with the braille, which, again, another interesting... Yeah. The thing that gets brought in the mix is her reading with uh, the braille on the music, which I, mm-hmm. I was like, God damn, you got to be so fucking... Like the level of discipline behind that, level, like uh, memorizing the notes. Trying to play a two-handed instrument, so you got to like memorize a whole sheet of paper, like with your fingertip. Like, mm-hmm. Damn! If you're blind and you're listening to this, I love you. I cannot comprehend it. I don't know why you'd be blind and listening to a podcast about a film. So I, I, I question your decisions. <laughs> It's Blind people like can that. can listen to films. You can still listen to a film and you enjoy. Just treat it like a radio show. Why not? <laughs> you probably wouldn't enjoy a Quiet Place very much, though. That's probably a boring film God to listen damn, to. It has to be a nightmare. <laughs> they, they just think it's the call map. <laughs> so what are you doing? I'm listening to that guy watch you know, watch popcorn. Eat popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've never thought of that about that. That's terrible. Like your mom is annoyed by people eating crisps on the train. Could you mom imagine? Mom would lose her. Could shit you imagine if you couldn't see blind. and she didn't know who was eating the chips? <laughs> Just like you, motherfucker! I'll yeah. kill you. She's like, who's eating crisps? <laughs> <laughs> I'll fucking take you out. Don't do it. No, no. She doesn't sound that like that. Like it was, it was a very bad accent. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. But on the train the other day. So what was your overall feeling about the film? Like, did you rate it on Netflix? I loved the 30 minutes. Do I? Did you rate it on Netflix? I don't think I did. I loved the first 30 minutes. What would you rate it if you were going to rate it? Can I rate just the first 30 minutes? No. Because I give the first 30 minutes a solid five. Like, whole I, film. I would not even fuck around. If the rest of the film was as solid as that solid 30 minutes, it might be my favorite horror movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm confident with sticking to the Netflix rating of 2.5 stars. It intrigued me. It passed half an hour. And then I just started going outside to smoke cigarettes because I uh, didn't care. <laughs> like it, it pulled me out of it so hard when all the plots started mm-hmm. to get shifted together. The visual elements started to fall apart. They were trying to trick me with the jump scares. They... they I didn't I, feel connected to anybody except the main character. Oh, I just remembered cancer, a scene. Cancer. Do what? I just remembered a scene. Like, completely slipped my mind. I can't believe we didn't write it down. The girl that gets run over and they cross through each other's bodies. Do you that remember that? That was fucking sick. Brilliantly done. No, she literally walks through visually, a girl. Visually, this entire movie is beautiful. If you want to pretend that at the 30-minute mark, instead of becoming a blind person, you became a deaf person, and you just muted everything that was going on and just watched the film, you could have a fantastic time. No, but Do I feel like... you think that's what the director was shooting for? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I feel like that's a scene that kind of brilliantly sums up the movie because there's so much hope in it and then they just for some reason like fuck it let's make it ridiculous because she literally while she's still trying to figure out what's going on with her like walks out into the street and her and this girl cross through each other like literally go through each other's bodies and they both turn around and look at each other it's not your stereotypical like the ghost knows it's a ghost they both turn around and look at each other just died and have a moment where they freak out and then 
Jessica Alba looks down the street and sees a body crumpled, you know, on the street that's just been hit by a car. And the, the girl that's dead is looking to like, oh, my God, what the fuck just happened? And then, of course, you know, stereotypically somebody steps away and reveals the dead girl's face. And instead of having a moment where it's like, holy fuck, I just died. What happened? It then just switches to one of these Crazy. shadow figures Those taking shadow. her away. And, and she's, she's calmly walking it. with it. Yeah. She's just good. Yeah. she. I mean, she like glances back at Jessica Alba's character and then just, whatever, I guess I'm going here. I guess I'm just dead now. Like, I'm not even going to protest it. <laughs> Like, it, it had so much potential behind it, and then it was just, like, another, like, addition to these weird shadowy figures, and that was all it amounted to. Like, the, the Cancer Girl is another, you know, example. Like Such a beautiful character. Great acting. Like, they really, because they meet um, after she has hospital. her surgery. Yeah. yeah, they meet at the hospital after she has her surgery, and they have this great connection, and then... She ends up back in the hospital again, I think, when she's getting her arm stitched up or whatever, and that's whenever... Mm-hmm. Um, they take the selfie. I feel bad that I keep calling her Cancer Girl. What's her name? <laughs> can't just keep calling uh, her Cancer Girl. Alicia, maybe? Alicia. Yeah. yeah. And Alicia was the Cancer Girl, and Anna was the donor. Baja. Yeah. Uh, uh, fucking Bruja. Baja. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Alicia dies, and it's literally the same thing. She's just walking away with the shadow character. Life's not that scary. It's like, okay. like, what? Come on, little girl. You've been the most inspirational thing about this fucking movie. You've kept me holding on. You've kept me caring about literally anybody else besides the MC. And then they just flush it down the toilet. I, I, it deserved. What what would what would your rating be? I'd give it a three. You're giving it a, a three. I would give it a three. What other movies would you put? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I'd give it a three because what was well done was very well done. Yeah. But yeah, there. From a director's a standpoint, I give it a solid five. I mean, like if I could look at the different visually, I think it's brilliant. Like I. Maybe not a five. Five's like yeah. I was like five's a bit extreme. I wouldn't give it a five. Damn Don Corleone, but <laughs> for a horror film like that would be top tier. We got to figure out who directed this and see if they've got anything mm-hmm. else going on. That writer should be violently murdered in front of their family. I, I was annoyed, like, and I think that's maybe what killed the movie the most for me by how wholesome the ending was. Like it just. All these horrible things happen, and then it just went back to, oh, I'm now a blind girl playing violin That's again. the American story. That's <sighs> why when we try to remake, and I think... <sighs> Shocker. Recent realization. I don't think I've ever seen The Ring. Really? I well, think I've that's... seen lots of clips from The Ring, and I know the story of The Ring, but I don't know if I've ever seen either version of The Ring. But I have watched a lot of Asian horror films. Um, you don't wind up with a redemption story in an Asian horror film. You only wind up with the redemption story in an American horror film. You I don't think I've ever... fairy tale need for it. I don't think I've ever watched one that was that heavy that just suddenly went that lighthearted at the end though because she's just like well, I think like Saul capitalized on it like around the same time but Saul really leaned into it and really made you root for whoever was going to win the game and the serial killer simultaneously but it's an American trope that we we need to have that fairy tale hero. it's not the same level of redemption though like it's a different type it's like you've went through this horrible thing get your shit together and like with her it was just like i mean don't get me wrong if i was seeing weird creepy shit i'd probably be pretty stoked to be blind again too <laughs> but fuck that dead mexican <laughs> bitch i don't want to have any of that bad but she's just, it's like nothing happened to her she's just right back playing a concert i'd be like locked up in a padded cell for sure yeah, no, i'd be losing my mind <laughs> like i would not that was one of the most traumatizing things in my therapist as an optometrist i'm not doing well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it was, being a classical musician had a better healthcare plan. This shit is all fucked up. And how do you just go back to life being normal? Because you're like, holy shit, there are legit weird, creepy spirits out there taking dead people away. So I'd be like, is he hovering behind me? Like, what's going is on? Is he hanging out? Can I yeah. get on this bus? Maybe that's where Final Destination came from. 
When did Final Destination come well, out? I think the first one was what? Like early. Was it as early as the 90s or early 2000s? I don't know. You got your phone? I don't. Damn. We'll revisit that idea later. <laughs> we'll figure it out and we'll get back to you guys. Or you could quit being lazy bastards, pick your phone up, and go look it up. Goddamn self. Ain't my responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, I would give it a, a solid three. A solid three. Are we going to give a nod to the the filmmaker at least? I think this is definitely a filmmaker over writer success. Uh, I mean, I it's visually it works. Collaborative, like I plot wise, like, it's a shit show. I think <laughs> solid camera work so whoever the dp was you know did a, a solid job like yeah a solid directing and that was the thing that we talked about earlier like there wasn't a lot of plot holes but there wasn't ever a point in this movie where i was like god the dialogue sucks or like no the acting was on yeah point. so what they very, were saying was ridiculous but <laughs> like very good direction of that stuff like i to even the unbelievable moments to some extent i was like all right i'll kind of buy it you know there wasn't like a which i don't know that this really qualifies as a b-horror film um but there wasn't yeah, this was a little produced yeah there wasn't a point in it where with most, you know, poorly viewed horror films where it's like, oh, there's just fucking terrible acting. Yeah, you can tell this like person. A sharknado explosion. Yeah. Where it's like obviously stock footage, you know, like CGI on top of yeah. it. Yeah. So I, yeah, like I, I think for the most part, other than the massive plot holes and the cheesy jump scares, like a lot of. It's a fun week day date so if you're listening to it i would suggest to go buy yourself a bottle of wine you sit down if you've not already and we haven't completely destroyed this film for you i would suggest that you sit down and watch it give yourself leniency after the first 30 minutes skip to the ending with the explosion and the glass going through the eyes and you might be pleasantly surprised second week in a row we can cut a steady hour out of this movie agreed i mean i don't think this film holds up the same way most likely to die would as a short um I think Most Likely to Die should have just straight up been a short film and been done with it. I think not necessarily a short film, but there was a lot of excess that could have been cut out of this film. I don't think I would go so far to say an hour, but yeah, tighten it up or... It needed a writer's room. Did this... Another interesting question that I'm going to ask at the tail end where all of this can be edited out if it is not compelling... (laughs) Did this film happen during the writer's strike? When was the writer's strike? Was it 2009? I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Because that would make a lot of sense. If this film was written by a bunch of freelancers because the um, Writers Guild walked out, that would explain why nobody caught the excessive holes in the plot. They followed... The, I mean, we haven't watched it, but like from the synopsis, though, they followed a lot of what the original film. You don't have the power of the Asian film. The Asian film leaves you feeling hopeless. <laughs> Foreign horror films scare you, and they don't try to make you feel better. They let you walk outside, like wanting to jump in front of a bus, because that's what life in those countries is like. <laughs> Joking, if we have any people in Japan, I was stationed over there for a long time. Love your goddamn country. It's fucking fantastic. But you guys have a suicide rate that's ridiculous. So I think I understand what I'm talking about. Back it up with evidence. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I I was just going to say, which, so, I mean, synopsis are very broad. So we haven't watched the original film. So there could be a lot of shit in this film. We need to watch it. We should bring it up on. not the next two star, but during the next episode. Mm-hmm. If it, where the fuck are we gonna find? We, uh, it might be a week or so before we can mm-hmm. Amazon that one in. But, but I feel like 
they followed, according to the synopsis anyway, the spirit of the original film the, the, to some degree. The basic plot. Instead yeah. of Dr. Bullfucker, their Dr. Bullfucker was an actual psychotherapist. yeah. So his role in the movie makes sense. <laughs> but your optometrist... How he he was. It's uh, like, dude, your job is to look at eyes. What did they call him though? They didn't call him a, a visual therapist. I think visual, visual therapist. therapist or something like that. Yeah. That might be like a, a psycho. No, I don't know. What the fuck is a visual therapist? Is I that think a that's the title they made up for the film. Hey, that sign's red. My work here is done. Five hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm gonna go buy me a new Corvette. <laughs> If you're a visual therapist and you're this far into the podcast, part one, congratulations. Part two, get your shit together. You got eyes to work on. (laughs) Should we sign off? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Ah, we've reached the weird ramble place. So we are... Listen to the refrigerator kick off. Uh (laughs) Apartment life. We are rating this film... I say three stars. I, 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 I'm, I'm ready to agree with you on three. You defended it. <laughs> I think we rate it three stars. Scale of one to 100. One to 100. Oh. So uh, we can compare ourselves to the right. I'm, a, I'm all right with the 40, whatever the audience scored it. percent down with 43. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with the audience. I might go the extra 2%. might give them that 45 because I'm not good at math. No. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Well, you can. I, I would come. I would like, come closer to going down to forty instead of up to forty-five. <laughs> so we're gonna uh, leave it there, guys. I um, we enjoyed the first half hour. Very much so. And I'm sure the audience didn't enjoy the first half hour because the dog was. <laughs> and I spilled all the water. Food, motorbikes are <laughs> going all over the place, and it was a whole situation. But hey, mistakes were made. I love you. Good night, guys. I love you. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't know if you're talking to the audience love, when you I'm say that. I'm you in the face, lady. Mistakes are made part two. I love you. And I love you guys. <laughs> Have a good week. Watch a movie. Listen to me try to figure out how to get off of this shit. All right. <laughs> you guys are brilliant. See you next week.